You know, I've learned there are a number of ways to start a message, to start something uh, that we're going to share with each other. One of the ways I've read is probably not the best way to start is to start with an apology, but I'm going to start with an apology to begin with, as you see in your call to action. I said that we were going to do 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We're not. We're going to do 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. There is so much. Church, can I tell you that I don't really apologize? I could just tell you, well, actually, you're going to be glad because had we truly covered all that was in the first nine verses of the second chapter of 2 Peter, it would not be Father's Day anymore. There is so much in God's Word. So turn with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 2. Go to verse 1 and place your finger there, and in a minute we will stand and read. It's on page 1,396 in the Pew Bible. I read an amazing statistic this week that the Brooklyn Bridge, yes, that Brooklyn Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge was sold a staggering 4,160 times between the years of 1883 when it opened and 1928. 4,160 times the Brooklyn Bridge was sold. When it was first opened in 1883, it was a toll bridge for pedestrians and in order to cross the bridge that got you into downtown New York, a pedestrian would have to pay a penny. Now, that pedestrian toll stopped in 1891. Beginning in 1883, a con man by the name of George C. Parker, church, this is interesting, set up a fake sales office, created fake documents claiming he owned the bridge. He hung signs on the bridge. There are pictures, historically speaking. He hung signs on the bridge stating that it was for sale. And then he would tend to look for people that would be ready to invest in such a great opportunity. And where he went was Ellis Island. And when you think about Ellis Island, that's where people were immigrating into our country. They came for the American dream. And he would seek to encourage them and offer them a way to get started perfectly in America by offering to sell them the bridge, telling them that they could make a fortune in charging tolls. He sold the bridge for as little as $75 and for as much as $50,000 at one time. Now, the people wouldn't know that they had been conned until after buying the bridge, changing the money, and then setting up their toll booths on the bridge, and at which point in time, since the tolls stopped, the police would come and escort them away and tell them that they had been conned and they would never be able to find this man again. At one point, George Parker earned the title as the greatest con man. Now, he did, however, get caught a few times, and after his third conviction in 1928, the Brooklyn judge named Alonzo McLaughlin sentenced him to mandatory life imprisonment to the Sing Sing prison. Church, this is the origin of the famous statement that we now take for granted. If you believe that, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. You've heard that statement before, right? That's 
where it came from. Now, I want to make sure I said the right thing. Everything I have told you is accurate historically. That is true. But it is the origin of that phrase, I have a bridge to sell you. It's an interesting thing how people can do that. I walked away from this story not so impressed that he was able to sell it that many times, but more shocked that 4,160 people would actually think they could buy it and give him their money. I was amazed that that happened that way. You see, in my mind, everybody should understand that bridges are not publicly for sale. But their desire for something that they dreamed of, something that they thought of, something that they wanted, caused them to lose touch with that reality to the point that it cost them. P.T. Barnum is famous for many quotes, but famous for this quote. He said this, No man ever went broke overestimating the ignorance of the American public. Now, it's in that backdrop that I ask you to take your Bible and stand with me as we read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 only. 2 Peter chapter 2, picking up at verse 1, says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Thank you. Keep your scripture open. We're going to walk back through this, talk about this for the next few minutes. Now, if you recall, as we exited 2 Peter chapter 1, our last um, sermon last week was Peter committing to remind them, remind them, remind them, of the truth and all that God desires to do within his children. Now, verse 1 of chapter 2 begins with one of my favorite words in all of Scripture, but. And you're going, that is a strange favorite word. But, the word but always signifies a change in direction, an alternative, another option, the word but also means that a thought that is being made is not yet completely made. Let me give you an example. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that? For the wages of sin is death. Sad. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin leads us to death. We deserve death. But God offers an alternative, another option to death, and that is life. Life eternal found only in Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you thankful for the word but in that verse? It's what grants us the opportunity to have life. So Peter starts off with that word here. He says, but there were also. In verse 1, this statement speaks to things that have already been in place. You see, when I read the word also, you can't have the word also unless you've had something you've talked about previous, right? We get that. Also is on top of something that's already 
been said. So I went back and I looked for the also the things that had been said before time. And in verses 16 to 21 of last week, and you don't have to turn there, it's even though it's right there, I've alluded to it already. Peter reminded us of what we had to remind us of who we are in God. He said that we have our testimony to remind us. We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and we have the Holy Spirit of God. That was last week's sermon. And if you missed last week's sermon, we just gave you a nutshell version of it right there. And some of you say, well, Jeff, I could have used a nutshell last year. That was good. Last week, that was good. If these four things that we have, testimony, Old Testament, New Testament, and the Spirit of God, they will help us diligently stay focused on God and how He desires, as we talked about two weeks ago, to sanctify us, which is making us more and more and more like Jesus as we live. I'll make a hypothesis here. I can't prove this, but I think it's reasonable. People who routinely and regularly spend time in God's Word, people who know God's Word, people who allow the Spirit to be their guide, will know God better and trust Him more because these people will know the truth. Someone has said to me this week, and they're in this room, and they're going to know that they said this, that it's Scripture that are the bullets that help us fight temptation. Right, Ken? We talked about that on Thursday morning. We spent some time chatting because we're doing a Bible study off campus showing the importance of Scripture and layering that into the lives of the people that are being shared. But knowing Scripture. Church, do you know the truth? As provided in God's Word as taught by God's Son, and as empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, do you know the truth? Now, Peter tells us that there is more. He says, but there were also, still in verse 1, false prophets among the people. Note Peter's word there used in the New King James Version, were false prophets. Peter is stating that prior to the time that he's writing this letter, in days past, that there were false prophets, people claiming a truth that opposed God's revealed truth. God's Word documents a consistent pattern of false teachers in history. God's Word is full of us, of them being exposed, being different to God. Now, this is not news to us. If I told you, do you think that in the times of the written Bible, there were false teachers around Yes, we would all agree that they're there. But Peter goes on to say more. Verse 1, even as there will be false teachers among you. Peter is telling the people that he's writing to, these Christians in the first century church, that there are false prophets in that day. So it's not just that the Bible in Old Testament times was, was we came in contact with false teachers. Peter's saying, no, today, church, in the first century, we fall in line with, we run in line with false teachers. But church, we must also understand when you go back into the grammatical original language of these words, that what it tells us is that we need to understand that these words are written in such a way that we should understand them, that there are still false teachers among you today. So in 2023, 
there are false teachers among us. So this is not a past problem. This is not just a first, first century problem. This is a current day problem. This is a today problem. But if we're not careful, we'll miss something. Look at verse 1. Those false teachers are, Peter describes, among you. Hmm. Peter is telling them and us that there are false teachers among you. You know what that means? Inside the church. Inside the church, there are false teachers. You know, I think that we all would agree that there are false teachers outside of the church. But no, Peter is pointing to the false teachers among you in the church. Now, I did a little bit of reading and research and then just experiential. Do you know that false teachers that arise from within the church are the most dangerous? Because they look like a brother or sister in Christ. These are people that are associated with churches, claiming beliefs of people, serving in multiple ways that are not, and that are not aligned with God through Jesus, his son. Allow that to soak in for just a moment. Think about it. There could be people in the church. Let's just personalize this. There could be people in First Baptist Church right now hearing this message. Who operate like they believe, but they really do not believe. And they have their own agenda, and that agenda is opposing God's agenda. And you're going, Jeff, that can't be true. Well, let me just read from Matthew chapter 7. Just write this down if you want to be a note taker. I've already got it written down right here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. These are red letters. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, but... Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Did you see what just happened there? Jesus said you're practicing lawlessness when you claim to do things in the name of Christ, but your heart is not Christ-driven. So church, we need to understand that that's a big problem then and now. But it goes on in verse 1, secretly bringing in destructive heresies. Did you see already how had we just plowed through this, we would have missed so much? Verses 1 and 2 are full. But it says secretly bringing in destructive heresies. Again, the word secretly bringing in tells you that they are part of the church. They are among you. These people have an agenda. From the very beginning, Scripture teaches us that they secretly, they are strategically making movements and not open about it. Now, verse 3 says, and, and I know that we didn't read verse 3, and we will read verse 3, but I just want you to look down at verse 3 for just a second. Tells us that these false teachers within the church among us do so covetously. You see that, right? 
covetously in verse 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you. Covetously. This means that they have a personal agenda in what they are speaking, what they are saying, what they're representing, and that it is for their own good. Let me share with you another way of saying that. They don't care about you. They're all about how they can benefit by what they do. The Scripture says that they're among us. Scripture says that they bring in heresies. Speaking about heresies, the word heresy means simply to make a choice. Now, historically, over time, the word heresy has taken on more and more meaning. It means a party, not a birthday party, but a group of people party or sect. A heresy causes people to divide over a matter. A false teacher will force you to make a choice between their doctrines and the doctrines of God's Word. These people, based upon this description in Scripture, are never innocent people who just went astray. Have you ever found somebody and their, their, their believing does not match the Bible, and you go, oh my goodness, that poor saved individual has just fallen away and gotten innocently entangled and confused. Church, have you seen already, these people have intentionally, secretly brought in truths that are covetously personal gain for them in this. They're presenting an alternative to truth. And can I tell you what an alternative to the truth is? It's a lie. And we need to understand that, that anything that is not supported by God's Word and empowered by God's Spirit and falls in line with Jesus' teaching is simply a lie. And Peter says, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to remind you of who you're supposed to be. Because Peter is always known, there are people among us who do not have their best interest. Many of you have, you know, I think I may have shared with you a couple of weeks ago, our granddaughter, who knows no stranger, has all of a sudden started pulling back just a little bit. Stranger danger. You know, there is a reason for that. That's reasonable. Church, this world that we live in cannot be trusted. It must be analyzed and reviewed against the truth. And can I tell you that that is only found in God's Word as revealed by God's Spirit in line with God's Son. Let's talk about these false teachers for a second. These people, these false teachers, they introduce themselves in a secret and subtle manner, starting by agreeing with the truth. They preach it. Let me just stop before I... Have you ever met a false teacher? I mean, have you ever been impacted by one? I believe I've been around some people that, in the end, did not prove to be genuine. Maybe you have. And the reason I stop is I want you to see if this does not describe the methodology of people 
who do this. So let me start that again. These people introduce themselves in a secret or subtle manner. They start by agreeing with the truth. They preach it, they teach it, they affirm it. Eventually, they begin to introduce their false teachings alongside of the truth. As a result, people begin to hear both truth and false teaching at the same time. And finally, after a period of time, these teachers begin to only promote their false teachings with no mention of the truth at all. And people end up forgetting what God is really like, which was the original goal of these heretical, secret teachers to begin with. It's all about them. And you're going, Jeff, this is hard. Yeah, this is where I get to remind you it's not my word. This is God's word. And Peter is saying, church, be everything God has called you to be. Faith, grace, peace, those virtues we talked about. Grow in that sanctification and remember and remember and remember and remember. And you're going, Peter, why are you harping on this so much? Chapter 1 is how we learn to be prepared when we turn into chapter 2 and enter the world where false teachers exist. They elect to follow, these false teachers, the little g God of their own imagination. You're going, Jeff, I need some scripture here. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 23, write this down, verses 25 to 27. Jeremiah 23 20, says this, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesies lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forget my name for Baal. Scripture, again, says they're there. And what's the challenge with this? Also, take this note down. Jeremiah 5.31 says this, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. You see, there's something appealing about false teaching. Have you ever thought for once that following Christ is challenging, is hard? He comes into your life. He wants to rearrange all the furniture. He wants to get rid of certain things, change certain behaviors, change certain words, change certain beliefs. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and they go, no, you don't have to do that. You can sort of coexist here. Man, when you're facing that hard uphill climb of yielding your life to Christ and somebody comes in that you trust, that you've walked with, that has affirmed things that you think you agree with, and then they start giving you opportunities to bail out on, you could be hooked. It's easy. And God's Word says it was happening then. My people love it. Can you imagine God's people falling for things that are not the truth? Experientially, I think we have to believe that can happen. Personally, we have to recognize that can happen. Because if we today make the stand that we will never fall for false teaching, 
we become arrogant, we become prideful, we become set up for what Scripture defines as the fall. But Peter's already told us in chapter 1, all you got to do is know your faith, your grace, your peace, add those virtues, live that life, remember, 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 which is diligently coming after. So Peter's not saying that you have been left defenseless in this world. He's just saying that sometimes we struggle. But we need to recognize that having the personal testimony of salvation, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to fight this, yet people love false teaching. Verse 3, I need to dip down in there for just a second. Notice what they do. They exploit with deceptive words. The Greek word used here is plastos. Now, you don't have to be a Greek major in order to understand what American or English word comes from the word plastos. It's the word plastic. Did you know that plastics can be molded and twisted into about any shape you desire? The same is true with words. We can come up with any meaning we desire for words to have. I read this statement and it stuck with me about false teachers. False teachers use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary. I'm going to say that again in case some of you, oh, I want to write that down. Let me say that again, okay, because it's a really good example. False teachers use our vocabulary. They say all the right words, but they do not use our dictionary. What we say that word means and what they say that word means are very different definitions. False teachers will speak about love, salvation, inspiration, and other great words of the faith, but they do not mean what we mean. They do not mean what the Bible says. They always have an agenda. It's always about themselves and not about Jesus. You're going, Jeff, you about letting up on these false teachers? Not yet. Scripture's not. Look at verse 1. It goes on to say, even denying the Lord who bought them. Church, all, all, all false teaching is rooted in and fully directed toward discounting who Jesus is and the truth that he offers. Satan knows that if he can turn people away from the gospel, away from Jesus, then he can have victory in their lives. False teachers will eventually state that Jesus is not the Son of God. False teachers are known for what they deny more than what they affirm. Think about false teachers. They deny the inspiration of Scripture. They deny the sinfulness of man, the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. They deny salvation by faith alone or even the reality of eternal judgment. They especially deny the deity of Jesus Christ. For they know if they can do away with his deity, being the Son of God, that they can destroy the entire body of religious belief. We know that to be true. Scripture teaches this, that if, it, if Jesus living and dying and being resurrected is a lie, we are most pitiable. We know that this is true. And all false teachers are seeking to do is to get you to doubt. Now, I want to make a clarifying statement about what 
this even denying the Lord who bought them. Some could think that these people have been saved and later lost their salvation. Denying the Lord who bought them could be read this way. But church, this cannot be the case. Since the doctrine of eternal security, which is another way us Southern Baptists call once saved, always saved, is affirmed in multiple passages in Scripture. Write these scripture passages down and look them up later because I'm going to just allude to them. John chapter 6, verses 38 to 40. Jesus says, Of whom the Father has given me, I will lose none. Write down this scripture. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. It's one of the most eloquent passages in scripture that talks about how much you're loved, but in the end it says this, What? can separate us from the love of God, and it goes to a list of things, questioning, the answer is nothing. Once you know Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Scripture teaches that when you come to know Jesus, you are sealed, promised, guaranteed with a deposit of the Holy Spirit. And Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that God will complete the work he begins. False teachers are not people who have been saved and have left the faith. I met with someone earlier this week who said, I'm I'm done. I'm leaving the faith. I don't believe it anymore. And I said, okay, that's cool. You're going, Jeff, you didn't say that to him. I said, yeah, I did. I said, but let me ask you a question. If. You believe that you can leave the faith, but I can show scripture that says that it was not you who saved yourself to begin with. It's possible that you might be leaving something that's impossible for you to be able to leave because you are not holding on to Jesus and all of a sudden you decide to let go. What it is is Jesus is holding on to you. And I told this individual, I said, I will be praying for you But I love where you're at, because where you're at is right where God can move and work. Look at verse 1. These are not people that have been saved and left the faith. Look at verse 1. Their destruction. Verse 3, their destruction. Now, we're going to speak more on God's perspective and God's handling and God's feelings about false prophets next week, because that's what these following verses do. So I'm purposefully not talking about that, because I want to focus on this side of the topic for just a second. But I want to say this correctly. Theologically speaking, I want to make a good, good point for us before we move on. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Matthew chapter 13 With that verse in line, Matthew chapter 13, it is Jesus who is the merchant that purchased the whole field in order to gain the treasure that is in that field. You remember that story? He sold everything, bought this to find the treasure that was in it. That's Jesus buying that field. Make this statement to you. Jesus' death on the cross is enough for the whole world. The term used here is the efficacy 
of Jesus. The ability to produce a desired or intended result. Let me make this statement. Jesus' atonement, what he did on the cross, is sufficient for the whole world. Which means that the blood that was shed, if everybody in the world, past, present, and future, came to know Jesus, there is enough within Jesus to save everybody. But we need to be clar- clarify this just a little bit. This universal atonement, this ability for Jesus' blood to cover everybody does not mean that there is universal salvation. You see, we talk in Scripture, we teach that Scripture is limited to those who believe and accept Jesus as their Savior. Now, false teachers are going to talk to you about universal atonement, and they'll go, Jesus died on the cross, and everybody's going to get it. Let me just clarify that. Jesus died on the cross, and everybody can get it. Jesus is enough for everybody, but the only ones who do get it are those who come to Christ in faith. Now, that's a really good point that you need to hold on to because the rejection of Jesus by these false teachers, actually by anybody, makes their future condemnation certain and deserved. And we'll talk about their future next week. Verse 2, we're starting to head toward home. Verse 2, and many, some of you are scared, you're going, hold it. We have two verses, we just got to the second one, so we're just halfway? No, I don't think. Verse 2 says, and many will follow their destructive ways. The false teachers appealing to the selfish hearts of man will impact people. Scripture says many people. As I reviewed Scripture and as I prayed and thought about this, I see two kinds of people that are impacted by false teachers. Number one people group I see, not meaning that's the most, but the first people group I see are people who are saved. These people remain saved, but they become lazy, forgetful. They become ineffective for the gospel. Peter talked about those. Let me just harken back three weeks ago in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. We talked about this. They become unfruitful. They have no vision, and they will barely get an entrance into heaven. And those verses talked about how they will be abundantly greeted when you're faithful. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 says this, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as so through fire. There are people that are real children of God that will fall for this false teaching of some kind, and it will cause them to totally derail their sanctification process. But because of their demonstration of faith, Hallelujah. God holds on to them, but they are no good to anybody. The second people group, people who do not yet have a saving relationship with Christ, regardless of what they say, they either are clinging to a not real faith or they have no faith position. Look at verse 2, it goes on to say, 
and many will follow their destructive ways, comma, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Note that those who claim faith will cause the truth, the gospel, to be doubted, talked about, and maligned. If I'm honest with you, I've met Christians, I've talked with people who do not live the life that they claim. And it gives Jesus a black eye. Have you ever met somebody like that? Their lives do not match what they speak. And it pushes people away. These false teachers, their whole job is to push people away. Anyone who believes or follows anything but the truth of God's word will intentionally be pushing people away from coming to know Christ. It's interesting. It's possible that we, the way we live and the choices that we believe, could push people away from Christ. Yesterday, we had man of missions. It was a beautiful day. And I had a conversation with a husband and wife in the car. I'm up here, and you guys know if you do man of missions, I greet everybody and talk to them. And I've done this for a number of years, and I know them and talk with them. I know them by name most of the time. And get a chance. We were talking about it, and one of them, and this lady, she'd been sick. We've been praying for her, and she was in the passenger seat, and her husband's in the driver's seat, and she's been sick, and we've been praying. And she says, you need to talk to him. He's let people move him away from the church. I keep telling him that he needs to put his attention on God and God's Word and not on people, but he's allowed people to come in the way and move him away from the church. You need to get out. And man, she starts preaching at him. I'm the audience, and all I'm going back there is going, amen. I told him, I said, brother, you better give in because your wife's not going to let up on you. But what I took away from this is that because of people and the way that they believed and the way that they acted, and he gave us examples, us, because Angela was with me, he gave us examples of the way people had made decisions or made choices in churches they had been connected with. And they had become wedges, and he had moved away. People claiming Christ, pushing other people away. That just broadened the definition of false teacher, didn't it? I mentioned to you a few minutes ago, so I won't do it again, but remember the lunch that I had with somebody this week who stated to me, because of what I've seen in people claiming faith, I'm done. And it's possible that you're here today and you're going, I feel the exact same way. I don't even know why I'm here. I do. You're here to hear the truth. I spent some time researching the events of the Jonestown Massacre. Anybody remember that? You may recall this tragic event, November 18, 1978 in Guyana. The People's Temple was the church led by Jim Jones, and on this date, 909 people all died from a mass suicide murder, call it what you want, as they 
drank the Kool-Aid that had been laced with cyanide because Jim Jones told them that that's what they needed to do. Well, I did some research on Jim Jones and where he came from. This is 1978. In 1952, did you catch that, 26 years earlier? In 1952, you can go back and research all this. He had beliefs that bordered on communism, bordered on a lot of other activities, but he was trying to find a vehicle for his beliefs. So in 1952, in the state of Indiana, he went to a Methodist church and began to attend and fit in and fit in and fit in, knowing all along he had an agenda. He makes the statement that was recorded by friends that he knew that the church would be a great vehicle to understand and undermine what they were after. That church wised up and let him go, but he found another one, and he found another one. And he got into this religion that eventually became the people's church. He started his own. He had enough people following him, they started his own church. And that was in 1955. And he began to teach and teach and teach. People stopped working unless he told them where they could work. All their money went back to them. All their decisions went back to them, all their thinking. They even moved from Indiana when the pressure got hot to California. And then in California, they got some freedom for a while, but then even pressure got up and... and Things started pushing a little bit, and so he decided that they were all going to go to Guyana. And when he got them there, and that tape, there's a 45-minute section of the recording on that day that is still available. On that day, he said, I know I'm going to see you again, but today we have to prove to people what I've been telling you. And he told them all. He said, we're going to start with the children and the babies. And then everybody's going to drink it. And we're all going to just end this. 909 people followed. I watched pictures. I saw them. It's all there. The power of that. Second Peter talks about, speaks of false teaching, secretly occurring, destructive heresies, denying the Lord, destructive ways, covetousness, deceptive words. But I'll tell you that Jim Jones, he didn't come to this originally. The original false teacher in Scripture was Satan. And it began in the Garden of Eden, and you can read this in Genesis 3. But I want to point out the three things that Satan did as we close. I've got this many notes left. Satan first began by questioning the word of God. Did God really say? His second position was he denied God's word. You certainly will not die. And then the third thing that he did is he distorted God's word, claiming that instead of dying, Adam and Eve would become like God himself. 
Genesis chapter 3. You can go read that. Questioning, denial, distortion. Man has been led away ever since. Church, can I tell you that the truth of God is under attack every single day? In the 2,000 years of church history, many have abandoned the faith, and many war will do the same before the second coming of Christ. We must always be on the lookout, always, always on the lookout for truth. We can best make certain our faith is real, and how we can best make certain we correctly identify any false teaching is to come from what Peter told us in 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember the Word of God. Remember the Spirit of God. Remember what God has done in your life. Scripture and the Holy Spirit are the greatest tools that we, in, that we have to ensure that we never fall for a false gospel. You're going, Jeff, Peter was hammering them because we feel hammered now. Listen, my whole, I felt it all week. Peter says, I love you guys enough to remind you that the enemy still is around every single day. Amen? And we can be victorious, but we have to remember whose we are and invest ourselves in him. Not only will our lives be more abundant and glorify God as we hold to the truth, but if all of this is true, then more people will be exposed to the gospel of Christ, the truth, and they will respond as well. Peter's harsh on these people. Is he too harsh? What are you going to do if somebody tries to hurt your family? Okay, false teacher, they're trying to hurt your family. We need to be looking for them. Now, we're not out to do anything mean to them. We're out to, one, know the truth, and then, two, share it. Here's what I believe will happen. If you stand on the truth, based on my experience this week, if you stand on the truth, you will earn the right to talk with people about what they believe. And then it's God who could do the working in that life again. Amen?